see. We're going to get the call here. We're getting the right call. That's all that matters. After review, good goal. Good goal. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal. All right, Stephen, welcome back. Here we are for Rangers Review. I believe, is this number five, if my memory's not mistaken? Uh, I think so, yes. Yeah, yes. I think it's number five. Yeah, no, we have plenty to talk about. Um, We'll probably be a shorter episode this week because we didn't have as many games, but a good week for the Rangers. But before we get any further, how are you doing today? No, doing good. Um, like I said earlier to you when we were talking, a uh, little bit annoyed that yesterday's game was postponed because it was going to be 7 p.m. my time. But, um, yeah, now we're just looking forward to Monday's game. Yeah, you know, me too. I I was thinking about you too because it it didn't cross my mind originally, but I know last time we talked, you're like, oh, I'm so pumped for the Devils game. Finally, a time where I don't have to stay up and crazy late. But, yeah, Yeah. I know. Hopefully that there are some noon games coming up. I don't know exactly which ones are scheduled next for the Rangers. So Um, They actually scheduled uh, uh, a 1 p.m. game uh, in early March. So I still get my early Saturday game. Okay. All right. Good. Good. I'm glad. Um, But, yeah, no, a good week for the Rangers, even with all the hecticness that has gone on with Tony D that we'll touch on a little bit further because I would like to get to the games first before we get to the Tony update. But with a lot of things kind of going wrong for the Rangers the past week, the play was not one of them, at least to the extent. You know, the Rangers all this season, as we know, have really played even, I shouldn't even say some good games, but they've been in every single game outside of one. You know, since opening night, they have not not been in a game, which has been telling that this team, the potential is still very much there. And while there aren't necessarily high hopes in making playoffs, that before you know it, we look at the standings right now and they're just right out of the thick of things. So a huge week for them, as we know, in game nine uh, for the Rangers, they beat the Penguins three to one. And then this past game against the Capitals, who have been one of the best teams in the league, they end up winning in a pretty impressive fashion. So, Stephen, what are your initial thoughts on these first two games? What have you liked about them and what have you not liked about them? Uh, well, the game against the Penguins was nice um, for the for Ranger fans, of course, because it was I think it was the first game after the D'Angelo drama. It was. Yep. Um, uh, and of course, you know, there was a lot a lot going on in, in the locker room um, on Twitter. Fans were very engaged in the whole conversation about it. So the Rangers coming out and, and beating the Penguins was great to see. Um I still feel that Panarin has not really played that well, even though he had two three-point games this this week. Yeah, uh, I think his play overall still needs improvement, but he's adding the points. You know, he has fifteen in ten in ten games now, um, back-to-back three-point games. He is actually carrying the team. If like, without Panarin, if you replace Panarin with with a good first line player i think this team is nowhere near 500 so panarin is a big reason where we're in this position in the first place rightfully uh, so but uh what really impressed me in the penguins game was how both Pitetto and brodzinski just were entered in uh, entered the lineup and how they didn't look out of place um i didn't have a lot of expectations for either of them because they're, they're depth players and they're new to the organization. But Brodzinski uh, played played an okay game. Um, when he was in the penalty box, it brought back uh, memories of Brady Shea, you know, with that number 76 in there. I was thinking there. the exact same thing. 
And 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 one of my girlfriends, my, my girlfriend's best friend is a huge Brady Shea fan. So when she was talking about, you know, how Brodzinski reminded her of Shea, I, I commented by saying, especially when he's in the penalty box. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Beteto, uh, I was talking to, to people about Beteto. Um, you know, nothing flashy in, in the game against the Penguins. He looked calm on the blue line, which is exactly what this team needed. They needed someone who brings a calming presence. And even though he's not a familiar name, he is the second most experienced defenseman on our blue line at the moment. Yeah, he's, he's Jacob, a seasoned vet to an extent. He, behind Jacob Trouba. He's almost he's, – he's close to 30. Uh, he's played for the Predators and the Jets, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, having that calming presence on the blue line really helped our team. A team that's 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 really young and it's really green still on defense with Miller, Lindgren, and Fox. Um, so and and then of course uh, against the Capitals, Hayek comes into the lineup, um, and Potato scores that amazing goal that that he probably never even expected to score himself. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and yeah, against the, the Capitals as well, you know, we finally got to see our reverse retro jerseys in action. Oh, they look uh, so good. They look really good. The minor complaint I have about them is that the numbers are difficult to read. They are. The they're, they're very dark. It's, it's, I will agree with you there, especially because it's more of like a solid, I don't know, maybe it's because it's more of a solid gray versus, I, I feel like the original statues were more metallic-y almost. No, it's it, it's fine if if they would have used a white outline like the Maple Leafs do, and maybe they'll they'll do it later on because it, I don't know if you remember this, but in two thousand with the white Liberty jerseys in ninety nine two thousand, those were beautiful. Uh, they were beautiful at first, but the numbers were not really easy to read on the broadcast. And then they changed the numbers. They changed the uh, the makeup of the numbers. Okay. So, it's not out of the question that they do this. The Maple Leafs did it actually uh, before they wore it for the first time. They actually changed the numbers a little bit, had a thicker, a wide outline around the numbers. Uh, so they might they might tweak that a little bit. But the jerseys themselves looked looked nice. Um, and it was the first time in 14 years the Rangers were wearing a Liberty jersey. Um, uh, but what really stood out to me the most in that Capitals game. Uh, and I'm just going to flat out say it. And I you know probably what you're going to say, on, so do it. probably see this on Twitter. I'm going there. The best player on the ice that game by far for me was Capo Caco. And I know he only got one assist. And I know Artemi Panarin did his thing and he got two, he got three points. But Capo had a great game too. Strom, Strom, uh, Strom, Strom scored two goals. Yeah. But yeah, my if you point. take those if you take those goals away, he wasn't that noticeable. I mean, that first goal was a great tip uh, uh, on a shot from the blue line by Adam Fox, and that second goal was made by Kako and, and Panarin, and he only had to tap it in with an empty net. Kako uh, bounces that line tremendously, but Kako Kako really made made a number of plays where he really deserves the credit. He played with poise, he played with confidence, and he had this one play that he used three or four times, and it worked every time, where he, he tips yep. the puck uh, off the boards uh, and then goes around the other side to go around the player. Exactly. It's so and smart. It's simple, yet you think it wouldn't be smart. as effective. It's smart. He thinks outside the box, and it just worked. And and it caused three breakaways, two of them leading to goals. And uh, Kako had just had a really good game, and you can tell that he was confident out there on the ice. And a couple of days ago, I tweeted about this um, – about a podcast that Kako was on when he was back in Finland um, over the summer. 
And in that podcast, there were a number of things he said, but one thing that I, one thing that I highlighted in a tweet where he talked about how uh, the coach always told him, don't do this, don't do that. And it affected the way he played near the end of the season yeah. where he didn't feel comfortable playing his own game. He, he, he felt almost afraid to try certain things and just played a very basic game. And now the game yesterday was the first time ever I saw Kako in a Rangers jersey do what he does best. And it brought me back to the days where he played for TPS in Finland and for the Finnish national team. Because these are the type of plays that he makes. You know, we saw it earlier on in the season where he caused some turnovers. He was he was out there on the forecheck. So he was doing the little things right. But now he's feeling comfortable enough to play his own game and to make things happen. And that's very exciting for Ranger fans. Absolutely. And I'm glad he brought up Kako and his play because remember Quinn was quoted and basically saying how we really need to focus. Um, I'm not remembering the exact quote, but in regards to Kako, how we need to focus basically on just like his development and not so focused on like what we want, like what we b- believe he's going to be because he's going to get there. We just need to take things, you know, day by day naturally and try to help him progress as a player. Because I think yeah. I think it's kind of obvious how he played in the last game that, you know, there was a different outlook on him with Quinn. I have a feeling that Quinn and him, they've obviously had plenty of discussions this season but I think Quinn is finally turning around to basically gain that understanding of like, okay, you know, maybe my approach wasn't completely accurate to how it originally started. Here's how we should be doing things going forward. Kind of just letting you play the way that you should be playing the game that you deem is best fit. And then if there are errors, flaws to that game, we're going to try our best to correct it. But we know what you bring on the ice. And, you know, I think I think there was just a lot of misunderstandings going on, to be quite frank. You know, between Kako and his rookie year, obviously taking uh, plenty of time to develop, but a lot of factors went into that outside of coming to North America for the first time. You know, playing for a whole year of hockey is not something easy to do, let alone when that's the first time you're ever doing that in your young life as an 18-year-old. So a lot of factors went into Kako's rookie year, so I'm not going to hang ahead on that. But to start off the year, it's been between playing time and just lack of confidence. And you can see a confident Kako is a guy that I believe is really going to burst on the scene as to the guy that was drafted second overall just over a year ago. And, um, you know, it is pretty interesting seeing that come to full circle. You know, the Rangers go 2-0 now, and the process of Lafreniere doesn't get any more than 12 minutes and 38 seconds in between the two games. He had nine minutes the first game against the Penguins, then he gets just under 13 the second game. Uh, so I'm going to want to know your thoughts on Laffy in a second, how you feel that like he's been playing, because I think he's still been playing very strong in the limited time that he's had. Um, another one that is still trying to get some more confidence level, but more structure and with the Rangers constantly balancing the lines, Laffy back on the third line, all those factors go into it, but very impressed with how the Rangers have been playing. I would be quite, um, I would be lying if I said that I didn't think that the Rangers would probably lose against the Penguins. It felt like that they were either going to make this a statement game or really come out and prove that, okay, we're going to put the D'Angelo situation in the past, we're going to move forward, or it's going to hang over their heads because of not just uncertainty with that front, but also between Heedle still being out of the lineup. You know, there are a lot of good reasons to suggest that, okay, this might not look like the best game, but the Rangers played stellar. Igor is really coming into his own, which I'm loving. I thought he looked stellar and many moments during the game against the Capitals. You know, everything is just finally starting to look like it's clicking with a team that isn't even performing to its highest caliber by any stretch of the imagination for what they will at some point this season, presumably. So between Igor playing well, between Batetto, what a great goal, especially for growing up a Rangers fan. I think I always love to see that one, a Ranger in his first game or two that isn't necessarily a rookie, you know, shows out something stellar that is definitely not expected of him. We saw that with Batetto, which was very nice. 
And, you know, Panarin, I completely agree. I think Panarin is still looking a little slow in his step. Um, I think five on five, I still want to see more from him. So it's exciting knowing that the guy is five points over um, the point per game limit right now um, to tell that, okay, when he's really firing off as Banjad, when he's hopefully gaining a groove sooner than later, Kreider, all these guys, when they are starting to collect that great things are going to happen because our best players right now are our youngest guys. Keandre Miller, Fox, those guys are looking stellar. Kako is looking great. Butchnevich has been consistent, which I'm very happy about. Um, so what would you like to add in regards to Lafreniere, in regards to um, the lack of playing time right now? Do you think it's more so because of spe- uh, special teams? Do you think it's more so because of just the utilization with Kako performing better right now? Like, what are your thoughts on all that? Um, <clears throat> the problem with Lafreniere, and, you know, we as fans need to understand this, and I'm guilty of this too. I'm, I'm disappointed when I see him play nine minutes or 11 minutes because I want to see the first overall pick play top six minutes. I want to see him out there on the ice when the Rangers are actually making noise in the offensive zone. But Lafreniere has the uh, unfortunate situation that he joins a team where he has two players in his position that are ahead of him on the depth chart. If you look at Connor McDavid, when he was drafted in 2015, he joined an Oilers team that was awful. And He was competing at center with Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who in itself is a good player. But, you know, McDavid had an easier path to to get a a top line uh, role. Austin Matthews played for one of the worst teams in the league. uh, The uh, was one of the worst teams in the league previous season, the Maple Leafs. The Rangers were never really the Rangers never really bottomed out. The Rangers never were the worst team in the league. And. They have Panarin and Kreider ahead of Lafreniere, so that makes it a little bit harder for him to get those pr- those prime those premium minutes. But I wish Quinn would at least try something new on the power play because the power play, as good as it looks on the surface, it's not a good power play. That first unit is not doing anything. They're just passing. They're keeping the puck in the offensive zone. They're out there for a minute and 50 seconds. And at the end of the power play, we have nothing to walk away with yep. because all they do is pass, pass, pass. Then they get it to Zibanejad, who fans on the shot. He's just not in in the right. He doesn't have the right mindset. He's not. He's not in 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 top shape. They need to try something new, and you know, put Panarin on that circle there for the for the one timer. Why not? Put Lafreniere or Kako on the on the other side. Yep. You know, make something happen. Try something new because this power play is not working. And you're pretty sure you have choir sec- here, Steven. I just hope you know that. Like we're under the complete understanding. It's just we, we have a second power play unit, but because they're always in the offensive zone controlling the play, that second power play unit gets Nothing. ten seconds every time. Yep. So Kako and Lafreniere, they're technically on the power play, but it are they really? Because they, they don't really get a chance to show what they can do. I hope that Quinn is going to try something new with the power play because as uh you know, as as trigger happy as he is when it comes to shuffling the lines at even strength, he seems very adamant to stick to this one power play unit. And he finally moved away from Ryan Strom on that first unit, which was the right call. Um, but then, it, you know, at one game he had D'Angelo on the first unit. That That's not solving anything. It's still a right-handed shot. You yeah. need to try something new and, and, you know, give your other players a shot on the, on the top power play unit. And 
when you look at the Buffalo Sabres, when you look at the Washington Capitals, yeah, the Capitals do the same thing, but the Capitals have Ovechkin. You know? Yeah, they kind of have the best goal scorer, arguably, in NHL's history. Not a big deal or anything. Yeah, Zibanejad's not Ovechkin, but Ovechkin is dangerous enough that that teams still have to you know keep an eye on him. The Rangers have one uh, one strategy on the power play, and teams have figured it out. You have to try something new. It, it's it, it's what's so frustrating to it in my mind is it, in a lot of aspects it almost re- reminds me a lot of AV. You know, because when I think of Elaine Vigneault during his time with the Rangers, one of the biggest issues with him, especially as they got into crunch time for playoffs, is, you know, they would stick with a certain type of rhythm, a certain type of mentality. Once that was cracked and it was countered, the Rangers, they didn't know how to counter it. They really didn't. They didn't know, okay, what's plan B here? Whether it was on special teams or five on five. And you have Quinn, who's the polar opposite with his five on five when it comes to the lines. He'll, all he does is juggle up these lines whenever something goes awry, even if it's a simple penalty. So let alone having your power play, why are you not getting the memo by now? It's nice to see the Rangers playing better. Don't get me wrong. I don't know if maybe because the Rangers have technically been in it every single game outside of game one opening night. That, that goes into a factor in his mentality. I don't know what is, but there is still a very fair criticism to be had with having a power play where it's been the same all season and it's not clicking. How many more? T- how many more times do you need to do this? How many more times do you need to bank on Mika when he came off of the COVID list to start the season when you could clearly tell that he was actually sick here, that he's still not a hundred percent. You know that he might not be a hundred percent. He might not be to his normal Mika self until halfway through the season. Which normally, once you're around what twenty five games in the season, might not seem like too big of a deal. But this is a fifty six game season. If you're actually trying to do anything, that is not going to help you. So I completely agree with you. It's frustrating. I want things to be shaken up. I think Lafreniere should definitely be in that right dot. One of him or Kako. Like, why aren't you at this point? You know, Booch, name just someone, just someone where you can off balance these hands here and not be so passive because Panarin loves to pass it. And Panarin's been a big culprit of this. Don't get me wrong, he's been great with the points, but, you know, a big issue with, that we've seen with Breadman is, you know, he's either, it's good to be passed for, first, but not in every situation. And this season, oh, and, special and teams. The last different. two games, with those empty nets, he did it in both games. With the empty net, he goes for the pass. Now, just, just shoot it because. The empty net goal he scored against the Penguins, he initially passed it to Strome. It was yep. blocked. He go, has to go into the corner to get it back. And then he snipes it. Now, I don't, I don't even know how that puck went in because that was an amazing snipe. He wasn't even facing the goal. And it goes top corner. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I wish he would have done it 20 seconds earlier so we didn't have to go through this. But Panarin just needs to be a little bit more selfish. But I really hope when it comes to even strength and it comes to the, the, the normal lines – that Quinn actually sticks to this line because Panera and Stromkako had a really strong game. And I don't know if you remember this, but this is how they started the season. Kako started yeah, oh, it is. game I one. Know. We should remember it. <laughs> exactly. It's easy to forget because the lines were changed midway through the second period. But can you imagine what they maybe could have done if Quinn would have stuck with those lines for more than half a game? All we can do is imagine right now. And that's and- the frustrating thing. I, I hope that Quinn gives gives players the time to sometimes go through a bad game or a bad stretch without lines being juggled again. You know, just stick to your lines. Have have your your top nine, uh, you know, well balanced, uh, which ideally would have Kreider on the third um, when Hedo is back. You know, put put Hedo on the third line with Kreider and and hopefully Kravtsov. 
And then the, the first line can be Lafreniere, Zibanejad, Bujnevich. The second line can be Panarin, Strom, Kako. You have a young kid on 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 every line, and you have an experienced guy on every line. It, to me, that makes the most sense because then the lines are interchangeable as well. Um, yes, I completely agree. But the power play needs to change. Something needs to happen. It needs to be more balanced because this top-heavy first power play unit. It looked great on paper, but if it if, if it doesn't get you the goals, then you are basically tiring out your top six at even strength for nothing. No, exactly, and it, it really is frustrating to see this continue as long as it has. So I think we're both under the agreement that hoping that you know so, sooner than later it changes because if the Rangers continue, maybe somehow gain more of a win streak here, but they are realizing that the power play is not clicking. Hopefully, at some point, Quinn's just going to wake up and be like, "All right, you know, maybe we can even play." better than what we currently are especially if we're making some statement games like we did this past week so if losing is not going to be the counter to quinn changing up special teams maybe consistent winning streak will be so time will tell on that but i uh i wanted to know your thoughts a little bit further on gochier because he's a guy that you know going into the season as we know um looked like very promising i really liked from what i saw from him and his role especially even game one and game two like i was not under the under the um, belief that Goche was really playing much of a bad game, but he you know he's found himself in Quinn's doghouse um, pretty quickly, and he's still trying to work his way out of it. So, what are your expectations for Goche going farther this season? Do you think he's going to have some more opportunities in the top nine, or do you think he's going to kind of just roll on the fourth line and be a healthy scratch? Um, look, Goche didn't didn't play a bad game. In my opinion, Goche didn't deserve to be a healthy scratch early on. But Goche's bad luck is that the guys that came in actually played better than he did. Yep. Yeah. You know, and this this doesn't mean that it was then justified to to bench Goche. No. He played he played an okay game. But we have Colin Blackwell coming in who assists on both Lafreniere and Miller's first career goal. That's going to that's going to stick with with fans. Yep. You have Kevin Rooney who solidifies that fourth line with some grit, but also scores some goals and adds, adds added an assist against the Capitals. Um, I think that was on the Biteto goal. He got the assist. Mm-hmm. Um, when those guys come in and play better than you, it's going to be really hard to reclaim your spot. So when Blackwell and Hilo are back from injury, he's going to have his work cut out for him. And I'm not sure if he if he has what it takes to to win back that that spot that he that he had uh, to start the season, especially when when Kravtsov comes over, where does Kravtsov fit in? Um, I I think Gauthier is ahead of Kravtsov in the picking order for Quinn because Gauthier is more used to the North American style of hockey, which I, I I hate to bring that up. I don't want to talk about that, but you know you need more than you need to be able to play more than one style of hockey, and that's my always my biggest criticism with Quinn. It's like he has only one gear, and if that doesn't work, he just keeps trying it over and over and over again until a puck bounces the right way. Yeah. Um, I think Gauthier will get his chances, but he he needs to grab those chances if he wants uh, if, if he wants his his spot back in the lineup. No, I I completely agree with you. Um, I hope for his sake that he does get more opportunities because. Uh, at this point, if the season does kind of go on the way it started, at least with Gochi having a, a limited role to none, you know, it's a situation that's like, all right, how much more are you going to do with Gochi? Because you're hurt. Like, this guy is, what, 23, going to be 24 soon before you know it. 
he's at the point in his career where like this is crunch time for him to really try to solidify himself as an everyday, hopefully top nine NHLer. If he can't do that, then he might be buried with the Rangers going back to the Wolfpack possibly. And then before you know, it's like, you know, I, I, I wish, I hope for the guy's sake he has more opportunities because I really think that there is something there with him. Um, even if that's not an insanely big role, he, in my mind, still has the upside of being a a decent part to what the Rangers are trying to build here. I think his utilization just needs to be better. And, you know, he has to do his best to try to outplay the other guys at the end of the day. Because, if, again, if he's having games where he's given the same type of ice time, I get, he only had like six minutes last game. So let's just put that out there. But prior to that, if he's getting, say, 10 minutes or so, and Blackwell's back and healthy, gained him. It's Blackwell is noticeably making more happen in the same or similar type opportunities. Then at the end of the day, that is on him. So we do have to we do have to weigh it both ways, you know. As much as we want to see him play, he needs to deserve it. Um, but there are reasons to criticize because we have felt originally from the beginning of the season that he wasn't deserving of the scratches. So you know, take that as you will. But I before we get on to basically what is next season's I'm uh, not next season, not yet next week's outlook because we have a big week coming up for the Rangers, probably their hardest week by far coming up what is your thoughts on the latest with tony d i touched on a video here a couple days ago and it was kind of funny because i saw i think after i did it that you commented about um in regards to sam bennett and how that would be such a good connection as we know um as of late the around four or five teams have reportedly shown interest in tony d now that he's on the train block like for good he's never going to play a game with the rangers again um you have the detroit red wings the calgary flames you also have uh, the LA Kings, the Anaheim Ducks, and I might—I think that was the four that was at least listed. I'm sure there are, are some other teams too that we just don't necessarily know much about. But what's your stance on Tony right now? Where do you think he's going to land, and when do you think he's going to land anywhere? If you had to put a time frame at this point in time, um, it's tough to say. I think Vegas is a team that that might be interested in him. They showed interest over the summer. That was before uh, Petrangelo, though. That's my only gripe with that idea. Yeah, but they, adding Petrangelo fixed the defensive side, but they still need offense from the blue line. Um, and if they can get D'Angelo cheap, which is what the Rangers are looking for, they they don't want to take a bad contract back, but they are looking to offload his contract. If a team can get him relatively cheap in exchange for you know a, a B-level prospect or a similar contract, um, like like a two million deal contract, a, a depth player going the other way, um, that could work. Um, it's it's tough to say where he will go. I know a lot of Ranger fans are predicting he's going to Calgary for Sam Bennett, and if it happens, you have all these these people on Twitter saying, "Oh, look, I told you so." But let's be honest, the the D'Angelo for Bennett rumor is so mainstream. It's so it makes so much sense. It almost makes too much sense. It makes so much sense that thousands of people individually can come up with that. It's not a it's not a scoop. It's not a prediction. No, if it happens, it happens because it's the most logical thing. It's the most logical trade out there. I agree. Um, I think D'Angelo has played his last game as a Ranger, which for him sucks. But um, I guess for other defensemen in the organization, it's a uh, you know it's a good opportunity. Neil's probably had a smirk on his face. Just uh, the I, I don't know, but, but I know that this that this makes his path to the NHL a little bit easier over the summer when he comes over. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. And I'll, I'll touch on, on Neil Slomquist in a second, but um, I think he's going to go. I think D'Angelo is going to be traded to a team in the West, um, and the return is not going to be sexy. It's not going to be a blue chip prospect. We're not going to get a first round pick. 
we're probably going to get a reclamation project, a player that's in the bottom six, that if everything goes right, could maybe be a little bit more than that. Um, it's 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 difficult to to come up with names, but um, yeah, uh, I mean, if, if they would if they would trade him to Ottawa, someone like Colin White or maybe Derek Stepan would make sense. Uh, getting a big contract back is not a bad thing for the Rangers as long as that contract expires over the summer. Correct. Because that, that means they, they have gotten rid of the entire cabin of the D'Angelo contract without having to use a buyout. So someone like David Backus on the Anaheim Ducks, Derek Stepan on the Ottawa Senators could make sense in that regard if their sole purpose is to get the money off the books for the summer. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think that, again, going back to Sam Bennett, it does make a lot of sense, and it's kind of it's funny because similar to Vince Dunn, and that Vince Dunn uh, report has been quiet, my dad. Because remember, you said which one do you think is going to happen first? Tony gets claimed or Dunn gets traded. Obviously, neither of them have happened, but you know it'll be interesting to see which one between those two gets dealt. Because Dunn, just like Sam Bennett, was another one of those guys that during the offseason there were multiple Ranger fans, including myself. At times, I was saying for the right price, depending on how you can land him, it wouldn't be a bad idea. Bennett was another one of those guys, actually. So it is funny how. They both are very much on the trade market and both can make plenty of sense for the Rangers and Bennett especially because, again, the guy's only 24 years of age. He still has – I'm trying to think of his contract exactly. If it's one – I think it's one or two years where he's just I think making, he, I, I think he's RFA this this summer. Yeah, he's just making over two mil. Um, you know, he did not have a great – uh, 2020 season, he only had 12 points in just over 50 games, but he's been in a very limited role the past couple of years since really bursting on the scene. Like when he first came out of the gate, he had a roughly, I think it was right around a 36 point season. And then after that, everything's kind of been consistently 26 points for a good couple of years. And then 2020 short season, um, things not looking great. He looked stellar might add in the playoffs. However, for Calgary, he really stood up in the, in the limited games that Calgary played. Um, going into the bubble he he was just one of those guys that stepped up in big games which is good to see especially for a guy of his caliber he's defensively responsible a guy that can help out in the penalty kill really in my mind I think would be um, definitely a favorite of Quinn's fairly quickly given the type of style of game that he has um, the consistency mm-hmm. just hasn't been there but taking into account how deep the Flames have been in their top six for a while now so if, if Ben is not performing on all four cylinders, he's obviously going to be an odd man out in the bottom six, let alone on the fourth line. So I would not be against him whatsoever. I think he would be a strong fit for the Rangers, exactly the kind of player that they need. In my opinion, like it's very similar to McCann to the Penguins, in my mind. Just a guy that has um, really has not necessarily blossomed to expectations, but has that upside to be a third-line center and get some more points, get hopefully some more offensive production, but more opportunity with the Rangers team. That biggest gripe outside defense, and really by far is probably the biggest issue right now still, is center position. So he would, yeah. fill, he would fit the mold. The, uh, the Red Wings didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I touched on that in my video, mainly because of Stevie Y. Um, you know, Stevie traded him away from the beginning after they drafted him during his time with Tampa. I'm not sure why he would have a change of heart now outside of just his performance. Um, granted, Tony has changed both as a person and a player, and GMs are aware of that. Um, but in regards to return, I don't really see, like, you're looking at Mark Stahl basically as a possibility. It's like, at that point, it's why are you doing that? You coughed up your second round pick just to dump in them in the first place. Are you really going to do maybe something like that again um, to re- get him back, knowing that his contract is up at the year's end? 
I don't know. And then when you look at Anaheim, they just got Kevin Shankirk this offseason. So they literally just got another puck-moving defenseman to help on the power play. And they have this guy, Jamie Drysdale, who I heard is pretty good, who might be with the team next season. So they have their puck movers. And uh, the Kings, the Kings could be appealing. They're interesting because they don't have much there on the blue line outside of Dowdy. Uh, Sean Walker's decent, but Tony would definitely bring, bring an upgrade to offensive potential on that blue line. So I'm just yeah. not sure what the piece would be back. So, you know, I'm not sure what future holds. And in regards to Ottawa, I might touch on another video deeper in regards to Derek Stepan because there are reports out there that he's very much already on the train block because his connection is not necessarily great with the coach. That One of the coaches there is what the initial report was. So I, I would be all for a Stepan reunion. He's, again, the exact kind of player the Rangers could use, a veteran for that matter, a guy that isn't an experience. He knows exactly what he's doing. You have him, you spot, uh, put him on that third line right away until he doesn't back then what's then when he doles back you figure out what you're going to do next but i think um, it'd be a great fit yeah so quickly you you mentioned the second round pick with the detroit red wings for the mark stall trade yeah just so we're clear they didn't give up a second round pick they got a second round pick to take on mark stall oh oh yeah, yeah. no wait i'm confusing myself yeah the no, red that's wings- what i meant detroit got a second round pick from the rangers yes yeah yeah yes. that's what i was saying okay yeah. no just just making sure that that's clear yeah because when you were going on about that, it sounded like the Red Wings gave up a second round pick. Oh, for no, Mars. no, 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 no. <laughs> Do the same for the Angelo? No. No. Okay. Um, no, but it, what happens to the Angelo is going to be interesting to watch. Uh, a team could acquire him and then maybe trade him at the deadline or trade him over the summer. <laughs> or worst case scenario, it's a buy low thing. You give up a second round pick, you know, you acquire him. And then maybe, you know, if it doesn't work out, you buy him out for next to nothing over the summer. It's a low risk. Uh, it's a low risk opportunity to get a really good player. Remember, he was fourth uh, overall among defensemen in points last season. I know. There's, he's not as, look, we know this. I get it. His defensive game still needs work. But he is no slouch for being an offensive uh weapon on that blue line you know and it reminds me kind of to an extent like what keith yandel the gripe he's gained a lot with the florida panthers as of late you know yandel is a guy that's always been an offensively mind defenseman and he's never been stellar defensively but you know what you're getting with him and i think d'angelo is a guy that as long as he's given the right opportunity still even if his defensive game continues to lack he's still going to put up the points I don't think that's going to be too much of an issue. Just the, the relationship soured. He was not happy with being scratched. And that was really the drawing point for Gordon, as he stated how, you know, if anything else happens, if anything at all, then that's where we're cutting the line here. And, you know, it's an unfortunate situation. But us as fans and for the organization, we have to move on now because, you know, nothing's going to change at this point. So, Tony, it is what it is. We'll see where he lands. I'm excited to just find out, to be honest. You know, because like any other trade, you're obviously looking forward to see what the Rangers can get, if any. Or if they're going to buy him out in the end if they feel that a price really isn't up to par with what they're looking for. But um, is there anything else you want to touch on Tony before we get on to um, basically summarizing next week's games? Um, no, I think I think we talked about anything regarding Tony D'Angelo. I don't want to get into the whole, um, you know, the, the thing with John Davidson uh, addressing it during a press conference and the whole fan block thing. I think enough has been said about that already. And if people want my opinion on it, you've probably seen it on Twitter. You know, one thing I'll say about this is when it comes to rumors, always wait for other people to, to you know, to shed light on a situation or confirm before, it. before drawing conclusions. Um, there's always three sides to a story. There's a side from person A, the side from person B, and then the truth that's always somewhere in the middle. Um 
I quickly do want to touch on uh, Nils Longquist, if you don't yeah, mind. I was going to say for you do that. So go ahead. Before we go on to uh, next week's games and wrap it up. Um, so with the Angelos departure, I think Nils Longquist is he's going to be on the team to start the season next season. Um, okay. I have no doubt in my mind. He's been having a really good season in Sweden again. Uh, he just had a bomb production, yesterday. Production-wise, he started off a bit slow, but that was not because he wasn't playing well. It was because he was playing in a shutdown role on the second pairing for Lulia early on. Mm-hmm. They had some uh, some people that they that they lost over the offseason. Uh, Jesper Selgren, who is a Carolina Hurricanes prospect, they actually lost him. So they needed someone to replace him uh, on the second pair. They went with Lundqvist. It worked out well. It affected his production a little bit early on. But now, uh, you know, he's he's getting back into the, the you know, chipping in offensively on the power play. He he rips that puck from the top top circle better than Mika Zibanejad. I'm not even that that's not even a joke. That's not even an exaggeration. He really does it well. And and I had to look it up. He is the first defenseman in SHL history to have two double digit goal seasons before turning 21. Yeah, that's insane. That should that's, be that should make every Ranger fan ecstatic. That should be pretty ex, pretty exciting. And I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Adam Fox, but I have the same vibe about him that a lot of people had about Adam Fox. He's just going to walk into the team, and he'll be the same age as Adam Fox. Uh, Adam Fox played three years in college after being drafted. This is Lundqvist's uh, third season in the SHL after being drafted. So they will walk into the NHL at the same part of their at the same point in their careers. Um, if Lundqvist can start on the second pairing, hopefully with a guy like Lindgren or maybe with Miller, uh, a Miller-Lundqvist pairing would be amazing. You have, oh Miller on, you have Miller on defense. You have Lundqvist chipping in offensively. They're both really good at transitioning the puck. Yeah, I'm excited for next season because... Uh, this gives me chills thinking about it. Look, I've been following this kid around for years, you know, and some people know this, but I met his family, his dad, his grandparents. Uh, I spoke to his sister once because they are all at all these games, you know, and uh, these under-20 national team games, not the World Juniors, but like the Four Nations tournaments they have here in Europe. Mm-hmm. I went to all those tournaments and and I always ran into them and, and, you know, they know me by name. They ask me how I'm doing and it's, a, it's just a lot of fun. He's probably the player I've interacted with the most over the last three years. So if the, the day he puts on that Ranger jersey is going to be a great day for me as a fan, and I'm really excited about him. I hope he goes with number 27 because um, he's been playing with it for a while. It doesn't have any specific meaning to him. But now with D'Angelo gone, he can just walk into the lineup. There's really nothing nothing preventing him from uh, from claiming that spot uh, behind behind Truba and, uh, and Fox on opening night. I know, and that 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 does make things very exciting. It's going to be pretty bizarre getting comfortable with a different Lundqvist in the Rangers, but I think it's going to be a, a smooth, uh, fun transition, no less. Hoping that um, you know, uh, that Niels does perform up to the expectation that we think he's going to. I think he is. Um, I, he really reminds me a lot of like again, he's not a big defenseman. We know this. He's maybe some will view as maybe a little undersized. He's like average size, I would say, from everything that I see of him, but. You know, between his elusive skating and his shot, I just think, and the fact that he's defensively responsible. He's not a guy that I think is going to come into the Rangers and just be, you know, 
to an extent how Tony has been, where there are still some pretty glaring holes in his defensive game. It might start out a bit, especially because he is, again, transitioning to North American hockey. That is a different stage. There's no doubting that. I expect there to be barriers in the road. I don't expect every new Ranger player to come in to be like how Adam Fox basically was right from the get-go. You know, that's not an easy thing to do. But if Niels does anything remotely close to that and performs how Miller has played as well, just above expectations, you know, it's very exciting. The Rangers, while they have so much youth in this team, defensively speaking, they play far beyond their years. And Miller was the most recent example of that. Lundgren and Fox were the really the first two to kind of be like, wow, okay, this is a lot better than what we originally had expected. Niels comes in now that, oh, just, just thinking of that type of four together. And then you still have some other solid pieces there, as we know, between Truba and then whoever it's going to be on that left side. You know, it. It's very exciting, and I'm very and, much looking and, forward to that. And, you know, Lundqvist was drafted in 2018, uh, the third player we drafted, but it was still the first round. Yep. We got Kraftsoff ninth overall. We got Miller 22nd, and then Lundqvist 28th, I think. And they all might finally be on the roster together next season. And next season, opening night, all three could be there. How exciting is that? You know, it's Compared- very rare, too. It's not easy to, to have multiple first-round picks all kind of – with the team have the same that doesn't like look at I granted I know it's not a great example but look at the Bruins during Barzell's draft year like <laughs> I was gonna, I was going to say that the Bruins had three picks in a row and they passed on oh my god Mark don't Met- even start no no the three players that were drafted after the third Bruins pick were Matt Barzell, Kyle Connor and Thomas Chabot oh my god that's a, they would have had a Stanley Cup by now probably yeah <laughs> yeah that's three years later they made the final against the blue against the blues yeah it's crazy. possible it's insane how how crucial drafting is it yeah. and all those factors but, but Lundqvist you know um he has a lot of good things um I have a lot of good things to say about his game it's not just defense not just offense it's the way he plays his gap control is great uh, he more than once a game, I see him covering for his defensive partner when he's out of position, joining the rush. Um, his vision, he's a really good passer. Uh, but what impresses me the most, and remember, this kid's only 20 years old. He's turning 21 in June. What impresses me the most that on a Lulia team in the Swedish Hockey League, one of the best teams in the league, when he is on the bench... He, he never sits down. He always leans forward, and he's coaching the defenseman on the ice. Wow. And these are guys that are 29, 28, 31 years old. He's just and, – and he did the same thing in the Champions Hockey League. You know, he's so involved in helping his teammates. He's coaching him from them from the bench. And I think that is something – that's something that I haven't really seen from a Rangers prospect at this young age. And I've followed quite a few over the last three years. Um, this really impressed me, uh, especially that last season. He was so he was so comfortable, you know, just just coaching and guiding the players that are on the ice. And like I said before, this is uh, these are guys that are 28, 29, some of them with NHL experience, and he doesn't feel uncomfortable coaching them. Um, that, that's that's just great to see. So hopefully he brings that confidence into the Rangers locker room um, and we can watch him for many years to come. Uh, to say I'm excited is an understatement. You know, it's funny because even with things kind of being gloomy at times with the Rangers this year, because a lot has not necessarily gone expected or just, you know, a lot of uncertainty with this still being a very young team. Um, it's nice knowing that the Rangers still have a lot of young studs that are on the come up. Like the, the team that we are currently witnessing, there's a decent part of them that 
are believed to be part of the core group going forward, but not all of them, you know, between Kratzov, between Niels and, you know, what's going to happen with Zach Jones still, Matthew Robertson, like it's going to be, it's going to be a long process over these next five plus years. Braden Schneider. Braden Schneider. Yeah. I heard he's pretty good too. Like again, like it's, it's a very, it's, it's so fun when you look at things in that perspective with the young talent. That's And maybe by the time we win a cup, Tyler Wall has taken over from Georgiev as the backup, you know, it's, it's crazy. It really is crazy. It is pretty crazy. And, and, you know, Gordon is not perfect as the general manager, but I think he's done a really good job with his rebuild and the drafting is definitely a part of that. Um, he's been with the organization long before he took over in 2015, but when you draft guys like Morgan Barron and Tyler Wall in the later rounds, Laurie Payunyemi, who's ripping it up in Finland, leads all players and goals since the start Once of the 2020 season. Fifth round pick in 2018. The, if you can hit some, if you can hit home runs in the later rounds, that really helps solidify your rebuild. And of course, you need those high picks like Lafreniere first overall, Kako second overall, and and hopefully Kraftsov, another top ten pick, can work out. Leas Anderson unfortunately didn't work out for us, but if we can get three out of four top ten picks to be solid contributors for this team, um, and on top of that, we can have some late round picks also contribute. Building through the draft is so important. And yeah, Zach Jones is another one I'm really excited about. That that kid in college has been has been lights out the last two years. He played in the World Juniors a year ago in the Czech Republic, and he was one of the better defensemen on that Team USA uh, squad. So a lot of exciting years to come. Um, and yeah, let's let's hope that in a year or two, three, we are up there to uh, to compete for uh, to at least make the final and maybe win one. Yeah, exactly. You know, exciting times indeed. But uh, as we get to basically the conclusion here, I would like to know your initial thoughts, and I'll share mine on the week ahead and give our predictions. The Rangers, as we know, have three games this time. Hopefully we have three, right? No cancellations or anything um, for games, uh, I believe, 11, 12, and 13. The Islanders tomorrow night, they'll be wearing the Liberties again. I'm really, really excited for that one. I really hope that I'm going to be able to live stream that one on my channel because I didn't get a chance to for the last one. But Finally getting to see the Liberties um, like with other Ranger fans. That'll be a lot of fun. So I want to know your thoughts on this week ahead. Two bo- two Bruins games. Uh, it's going to be a lot more tough because, yes, Pasta's back in the lineup and he's been doing what he normally does as advertised, uh, looking like a goal-scoring machine, um, not skipping a beat since uh, coming off of his injury. So uh, what are your expectations for the Rangers this week, just as a quick summary as we um, cap this thing off? Um, it's, it's tough to say what the Rangers are going to do. I was wrong last week, but at least I got it right the week before with the one, one, one prediction. So I'll, I'll wear that like a badge. Now, um, they're, they're playing three home games, which should help they're actually playing. F- I think five, the next five games are home games. Oh, wow. Uh, they're playing the flyers on Sunday as well. Oh, that's going to probably be, a, that's going to be a tough game. Unbelievably tough yeah, game. I can but the Islanders, I think they can, they can beat them, but then again, the Islanders, even though they've had a, a rough start to the season, aside from that opening night game, uh, they shouldn't be underestimated. The Bruins, I've said this uh, all season long and, and the weeks leading up to the to the season starting, even though they lost Tori Krug and Zdeno Chara, the Bruins are a tough team to play against. They, they still have that top line with Marshawn, Bergeron and Pasternak. Yep. Um, really good. Uh, but I think it's their depth. And I was talking to a Bruins fan earlier today who invited me on his podcast. And, um, you know, the, the 
the interesting thing about their um, their depth is um, they're not really they don't really have like that star player on their second or third line that that you need to focus on like the Penguins have with Malkin on their second line, but their second and third and also fourth line are they they really chip away at you. Um, they're and very team oriented. It's it's a very team oriented, almost like a Tortorella coach team. Yeah. Uh, like the Rangers in 2011, 2012, when we made it to the Eastern Conference Final, yeah. that wasn't a team that was going to beat you with individual skill. It was a team that was going to keep pushing you and pushing you and pushing you and and uh, death by a thousand paper cuts, so to speak. So that's that's the danger with the Bruins, who are 8-1-2, and two, by the way. Yeah. Uh, let's not forget that. But I'm just excited to be in a division again with an original six team. Yeah, um, right. I I agree. That's a great point. The, the NHL is probably the worst company corporation in the world when it comes to selling their own product. And I'm not even joking here. They have an opportunity to market this original six matchup in the division inclu- involving the Rangers. You know, use it. And hopefully when we go back to normal divisions, I really hope the Bruins can stay in our division because – it adds a little fuel to 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 the matchups in my that opinion. It should be a very historic rivalry. Like let's look at basketball. Like look at look at the granted, I know that the Knicks have really been poor for a while, even though they're having a good start to the season, but like the Knicks and the Celtics, that's an iconic rivalry. You know, just having T D Garden and MSG, it, it's awesome. It really is. Knicks it doesn't Celtics. get appreciated nearly enough. Yeah. Knicks, Celtics, Yankees, Red Sox, yep. you know, uh Jets, Patriots. They're all uh, intense. That New York Boston rivalry, it has really it has really cooled off in in the last few decades in the NHL. So hopefully this is hopefully this is the spark it needs to reignite that rivalry. We need more than just a damn Thanksgiving game against them, all right? It's getting frustrating. Yes. <laughs> yes. And yeah. and one more thing that also came up in that conversation on the Bruins podcast earlier today. You know, we we're talking about handshake lines. Um, you know, what's your opinion on handshake lines? Quickly. Oh, for playoffs? Yeah. I think it's a respect thing. I, okay. um, I'm not I against – I'm not – I, I uh, you know, it's funny because I know that there are plenty of debates with it if they feel it's worthy, especially after you lose a championship game. Like, there's mm-hmm. a lot that goes into that because you have to really bite your tongue more than I could okay. even ever so, begin to imagine. But, but it's a respect thing, right? Correct. Okay, so why is it not done during a regular season then? I think because of the fact that – when you end a series, your season's done. So it's I know, res- I, it's a, yeah, no, no, I get that. But what if you play, for instance, a division rival six times in a season, or this this season? You play, let's say we play the Flyers six uh, eight times, and one of those teams doesn't make the playoffs. Why don't you do a handshake line at the end of the final game between the two teams? I wouldn't be against that. That's not something I would be against. For all this talk about the handshake line being about respect, I'm surprised it's only limited to the final game of a playoff series. That's true. I think maybe I think it's probably because though that the like there's so much uncertainty where like if you just for whatever reason match up in your last game this season, like whoever loses, like is done, like does make playoffs, and whoever is, like take the Flyers and the Rangers a couple years ago, right? When they went to the shootout. Um, you know, like that's a situation too where I think it's warranting of doing a handshake of some sort. But because of the fact that it's uncertain each year, like there isn't like certainty, whereas like playoffs, you know what playoffs is, you know, it's going to happen no matter what. 
mm-hmm. don't know exactly what your matchup is going to be per se, or if there's going to be a no, game decided. And I, I get that, but I don't understand why it's limited to the playoffs. That when the Rangers and the Islanders play each other six times a year, if one of them doesn't make the playoffs, or even if both make the playoffs and they don't meet up again, there's no handshake line between those two teams. I mean, wouldn't it be nice with all the talk about it being respect respectful to do a handshake line in the playoffs? Why not do it at the fine at the end of the final regular season game between two teams? If you only play a team out west twice, if you played Vegas Golden Knights home and away, yeah, west the- makes a lot of sense too, especially when you don't like um, see them much. If like that's the last time you're the second game, do a handshake line. You've been on the ice with these guys, just like you've been on the ice with the with the guys you meet in the playoffs. That's fair. Um, that was just something that that popped in my head during the previous conversation. Yeah, no, that's fair. I'm curious what NHL's response would be to something like that. Because I'm sure it's coming up. Maybe this is the wrong year to bring it up with a global pandemic and everything. Oh, I know, I know. I'm I'm, I'm saying in a a normal world, all right, Stephen? Yeah. In the normal world, when you play a team six times, when you play the Pittsburgh Penguins six times, at the end of the sixth game, just do a handshake line. Even though it's a regular season, it's the last time those teams meet in that capacity. Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't have an issue with that. Yeah. I played rugby when I was younger, and in rugby they do uh, what they call a victory arch. Yes. So the winning team forms an arch, and the losing team leaves the field, and the winning team applauds the opponents. Yeah. Because and and the first time I saw that, I was like, okay, what? So what? This is this the only thing we do, or? And and then someone said, yeah, you know, the team that wins does, doesn't need doesn't need to be applauded. They'll celebrate in the locker room. And I kind of like that, you know, you give the opponents the respect they deserve. Yeah. Even though they lost the game, so they 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 keep their head up, and then you go into the locker room and celebrate your win. Yeah, I think again that's fair. All, all different variations of sportsmanship, but no less. I don't think it's it a bad. Could, thing. It could it could be a, a, a variation to the handshake line during COVID. You know, just do stick taps, make a victory arch with stick taps. That's true. Yeah, look at you, Steven. You you need to get hired, Ray. Come on, these are the, these are the burning these are the burning kinds of questions and answers we need here. And if the commissioner position is ever up for grabs, maybe I'll just go for it because I have so many ideas to how to sell the products and how to sell hockey as a product. But yeah, nobody I, ever. I, I think to me. I think us like more than casual fans have a damn good understanding on how to possibly market things better. I think I just want I just want the NHL to do what the NFL is doing. Okay. You know, I I pay 120 euros for NFL Game Pass. I pay 120 euros for NHL TV. NHL TV, I can watch all the games during the season, and that's it. That's the only content that's on there. Yep. NFL Game Pass, I can watch every game, and then there's documentaries. There's a football life. There's America's Game. There's Hard Knocks. There's there's so much there's so much inside do. access. It's it's more. It's just the games is only a small part of all you're getting. And, if you really want to sell your product, if you want to grow your, your your product, if you want to grow hockey as a sport, you need to do more than just make games available to, for people to rewatch. Absolutely. And the ideas I've I've mentioned over the years, like you know, you can have a documentary series called Retired, where each episode is about a jersey number that's retired by a team, and you and you show the career of the player and why that jersey was retired or you have a documentary called Defit where you talk about 
players that defected from Eastern Europe in the 80s, like Peter Nedved or Peter Stasny or Vaclav Nedomansky or uh, Alexander Magilny. You know, that's the type of content that I think would go really well in, in, in growing your, your product, hockey as a product. Because what the NHL needs to understand is that a large portion of the hockey fan base, a large portion of their target audience lives in Europe, in Sweden, in Finland, Czech Republic, Germany, Russia, Russia. And having just NHL games, it's, it's not going to draw in new viewers. People are not going to be excited about a sport when all they can do is just, just watch games. It's very basic. And the NFL understands this. They, they have documentary series talking about rule changes. They have, they have an entire two-hour episode where they just show the history of NFL stadiums. I love, so, but I love that. You know, that's, that was a big part of the reason. Like, when I was growing up, like, I was more of a football fan than I was anything else. It was just something that gradually changed as I got older. But the reason for that was I was hooked on NFL Network. I was constantly watching documentaries of players, like, um, you know, the life of player. Like, how they presented itself was great versus the NHL where it's like, okay, the games are nice, but I would love to see more of, like, you know, the Winter Classic documentaries. Let's have that not just for the damn Winter Classic. Let's have it, like, for, like, a hard knock situation. Maybe for just one team throughout the year. Like, I know the Bruins, the Bruins have had series segments that they've done through their season. Like, it would be nice. It would, if a team can afford it, which, let's be honest, they can all afford it. Do some type of documentary throughout the year. I know PR is great, social media to give us insight, but like at the end of the day, it's only cut up clips. It only means so much. Like, let's actually make like some type of series and actually have another type of narrator going along, a nice voice guy, and just do the whole season. Why not? I think it only, um, it only betters your chances of actually getting your team out there. Exactly. And what pains me is that all these teams individually have this type of content. The, the Rangers have MSG beginnings. Yep. A few years ago. Exactly. You know, turn that into an NHL thing, NHL beginnings. You have a 45-minute a, a episode about the life of Wayne Gretzky. Something simple. You know, start off with your biggest players and then work your way down. Yeah. It's And, and it just feels like the NHL is lazy. You know, they, they've sort of accepted the fact that they'll never be more than the fourth best sport in North America. But if they don't, if they're not careful, then then Major League Soccer is going to overtake them, and it's going to be number five. And that and that's telling a lot because MLS is not, you know, not a, not a common sport that I would say the average individual in the U.S. watches at least. And and I and soccer is my soccer is the sport I excel at the most, ironically. But like mm-hmm. in regards to following, don't and this is not a knock on MLS or anything, but like you know they have their major struggles as well. So if that's if that's what you're basically alluding to, that's like okay, now we're really in trouble. Yeah, yeah. The, the, my my biggest gripe with MLS is the team names. I guess um, when you have a team called Real Salt Lake, when Real is the Spanish word for royal, that's why there are the teams that have the uh, the prefix Real in Spanish football are teams that are royal teams. They either have existed for more than 100 years or they, yep. they they were somehow affiliated with the royal family or whatever. And then you have a team in, in Utah called Real Salt Lake and it has no meaning. Yeah. Um, Dynamo, there was a Dynamo team in the Major League Soccer as well. Was it Houston? Houston Dynamo? I, I Your guess is as good as mine. 
I think it's Houston. Houston Dynamo. The, the reason there are teams with Dynamo in their name in Europe is because those were teams mostly in Eastern Europe and Russia that were government funded by the electricity company. Oh, okay. Lokomotiv, teams with the Lokomotiv name, like Lokomotiv Yaroslavl or Lokomotiv Leipzig and football were teams that were owned by the railway company. Oh, okay. I got CHKA Moscow was a team that was owned by the Russian army. It's, that's why they are called the army, because they're the army team from Moscow against the army team from St. Petersburg. Mm-hmm. So to just use these names randomly for a major league soccer team, I don't know. I just always found that a little bit weird. I Comes guess. off a little disingenuous. Yeah, because it's like they didn't put any thought into it. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're not, you're not wrong there. Again, wasn't expecting MLS talk today, but I learned a couple things again, <laughs> so that's always a good thing. So as as we finish off here, Stephen, before we get out of here, what is your prediction for this next week? You got to come up with a number. What is it? Uh, are we go doing three games, or are we including the Flyers game on Sunday? Um, ah, what the hell? We can include the Flyers game. All right. Um. Because if they are not going to play till Tuesday the following week, then our next review will probably be that Monday. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll probably record on Monday then. Yep. Um, I think they're going to go uh, one, two, and one. Okay. All right. Uh, I think they're going to go two, one, and one. Okay. Yeah. So they're going to beat the Bruins at least once? Correct. Okay. Yeah. That, that I mean, they could, or those two losses could be against. Um, I'm more worried about the Flyers than anything else. You know, they swept us last year. They are the team that the Rangers need to beat, and this will be a big decider for them. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, regardless, it's going to be an exciting week. It's going to be a statement week. The Rangers are still down. They are not 100%. They have Heedle still out of the lineup. They have a blue line that is still trying to shape itself out. Keandre's looking great. Fox is looking great. Lundgren's looking a little bit better than how he started the season. Truba's Truba. Truba is definitely a hit or miss. Um, but then after that, you know, when you're worrying about guys like Potato and some others, we'll see how they do this upcoming week. And the offense, will see if they can try to click. If, if Zbigniad can, if Zbigniad starts to break out this week, then, you know, that's a different story. Same thing a little yeah, bit more with is, Yeah, Strom has, has potted a couple of goals the last few games. Kreider is more engaged. It's only Zibanejad that still needs to get into the groove, I guess. And once that happens, uh, I could see this team being competitive. Yeah, I could too. But awesome stuff as always, Stephen. Thank you so much again. Thank you all so much for everyone that chimed in to Rangers Review, Episode 5. We're very excited for next week. And Stephen, anything else before we get out of here? Um, No, not really. Okay. All right. Well, let's go Rangers. Let's go Rangers.